0: Welcome and thank you for joining us as we listen to the lively messages of Brother Nick Manzie, a down to earth pastor who communicates God's truth in understandable and practical terms as you apply the Bible to your own life. You know I love uh, playing games every so often and I have this uh, trivia game that I play on my phone uh, from time to time and uh, and sometimes well, well, most of the time, I go up against a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. Uh, you know, I do well in those history and those geography and sports categories, but I end up failing miserably on those art and entertainment categories. But win or lose, I still play the game because I love trivia. Well, every so often, I even post Bible trivia questions on my Facebook page. So if you're a Facebook friend of mine, you might be able to see those every so often. And I want to do something like that right now. I want to be able to give you a little Bible quiz this morning, a little Bible trivia this morning. But I'm going to be nice. I'm going to give you a little hint. Uh, All the questions have to do with the Old Testament. So that gives you a little bit of a hint. Not great hint, but it's a little bit of one. Here's your first question. Who's the greatest comedian in the Bible? Well, Samson, because he brought the house down. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. All right, right. who is the greatest male financier in the Bible? Well, it was Noah. He was floating his stock while everybody else was in liquidation. (laughs) Come on, these are funny now. How about the greatest female financier? It was Pharaoh's daughter. She went down to the bank of the Nile and drew out a little profit. (laughs) right. Who's the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? Well, David, of course, because he rocked Goliath to sleep. All right, I'm going to give you one more, and and I'll get get past all the corny pastor jokes for today. This is the last one. Who's the shortest man in the Bible? Knee-high Maya. You know, as you know, we've been wanting to build an addition to our church for a very, very, very long time. Uh, And through the years, God kept telling us to slow down and, and sometimes even stop what we were doing. And it was clear during those times it was definitely not the right time to build. But now we're so close, we're really close to putting the first shovel in the ground. And I believe it's because God is now telling us that it's time to build. I believe that wholeheartedly with all of my heart, that it's time to build. But I also believe that God wants us to be able to learn what our part is as a church body before, during, and after the construction of the building. Why? Because if we don't do our part, we can easily be torn apart as a church. This morning, we're kicking off a new series, an 11-part series based on the book of Nehemiah. And I'm calling it, uh, It's Time to Build. See, Nehemiah is one of the greatest characters of the Old Testament, in my opinion. And maybe he's not as well known as some of the other characters that we talk so much about in Bible studies. So I want to give you an assignment, if I may. And this assignment is something that I really want to encourage you to do. I I want you to read a tantalizing trilogy that comes from scripture. I want you to begin with the book of Esther. And in Esther, you're going to discover how God first began to move in the midst of Israel's captivity by raising up Esther, who was this young Jewish maiden. And she she came to the throne of Persia as queen. And it was her husband uh, that, that was Artaxerxes. And you'll see him in the opening chapters of Nehemiah. Then after you're done with Esther, I want you to read the book of Esther. And by the way, that book of Esther in the Hebrew Bible is linked with the book of Nehemiah as one book. And when you're finished with Ezra, then jump right into Nehemiah. And I want you to read it carefully because of the richness of that book, Nehemiah. You'll get more out of this series if you just do some of your homework each week. So read those three books for me over the course of the next 11 weeks. Okay? if you can read it quicker, so be it. If it takes you 11 weeks, so be it. But however you do it, read those three books, Esther, Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, I am so excited about what God is going to be able to teach us as we travel through this book of Nehemiah. I think we're going to be able to learn things that will help us personally. We're going to discover principles that is going to guide us as we move into this time of growing here at Central Baptist Church. And best of all, I think we'll end up understanding a critical part of Old Testament history. So I want to set uh, briefly a little historical context, if I may. In Genesis chapter 12, if you remember, God called Abram to go ahead and leave his country. And as Abraham uh, obeyed God's word, his, his descendants multiplied. And then the Israelites were later enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years until God called them out under the leadership of Moses. Eventually, they were allowed to enter the land that God had promised them, which is the the land of Canaan. And hundreds of years have passed by during which the nation started to experience struggles and faithlessness all while wrestling with God. Well, the high points uh, of Israel's history came when David, this godly king, was called to sit on the throne. And 40 years, David, David expanded the nation, both in breadth of influence and in the knowledge of God. But things started to go downhill from there because after his son, King Solomon, died, Israel ended up splitting into two kingdoms. That You had Israel, the northern kingdom, which had ten tribes, and then you had the southern kingdom, which was composed of two tribes and was referred to as Judah. Well, because of their disobedience, the Assyrians ended up conquering Israel. remember the ten tribes that lived to the north of Judah. And those ten tribes ended up scattering throughout the land and became known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. Well, even though those southern tribes saw what was going on and they saw what was happening, they too eventually uh, rebelled against God themselves. And so in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar came into rule and he brought the Babylonian army to capture the Jews. Well, Jerusalem was destroyed, the walls were knocked down, the temple was burned, people were deported throughout all the land, and they were forced into slavery once again. And their history now has become full circle. The city, though, was left in ruins. I don't know about you, but it must have been a traumatic thing for those Jews to see death and destruction after building up such a strong land. See, they were forced to leave their homeland. and They traveled about a thousand miles away to a foreign country. And many of God's people and those prophets predicted that this captivity, though, even though as bad as it was, it wasn't going to destroy the nation. Praise the Lord. They, they, they said that it would eventually end and the people would be allowed to go back home one day. Even Daniel understood this truth when he was reading the book of Jeremiah. See, God did not forsake his people even through all that. He allowed the Persians to be able to take over the Babylonians. And he moved King Cyrus to make a decree to let some of the Jews return to their homeland. And then in three stages, over about a hundred years, they were allowed to migrate back to Jerusalem, only to discover that the the city was still demolished and desolate. Well, while they were living there, there was a lot of danger. It was difficult. And that brought Sorrow. Well, here we come to the decree of Cyrus and 50,000 Israelites returned to uh, to, to Judah with Zerubbabel and they started to begin to rebuild the temple at this particular point. Unfortunately, they got discouraged and they quit. And God sent them some more prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to encourage them to finish this project that they once started. Ezra then comes in and, and encourages them again and helps them restore their spiritual fervor. And finally, Nehemiah tells a story in the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes. By now, Persia has replaced Babylon as that region's great power. And the Persians ruled with a very different means of control. See, the commitment of the Persians were to resettle captured people in their own native lands. Conquered peoples could act with a degree of autonomy just as long as they supported the state and they paid their taxes. And now, as we start the book of Nehemiah, God is about to instigate another movement back to the promised land. So you ready to dive in? This morning, we're going to begin exactly where we should always begin. And that's with an emphasis on prayer. Someone asked me this week what I was preaching on, and I told him it was on prayer. And he said, well, didn't you just preach on prayer just a few months ago? I told him, yeah, and I said, I'm preaching on it again because we can never get enough about prayer. Amen. Prayer is one of the overriding themes of this book of Nehemiah, but it's also the secret to Nehemiah's success. See, Nehemiah's public life was the outflow of his personal life, and that's the way ours should be too, amen? Amen. Our public life should be the outflow of our personal life and his was steeped in and shaped by a lifestyle of prayer. His devotion to God, his dependence on God for everything and his desire for the glory of God found equal expression in his life. So he knew that only ventures that began in prayer, that were bathed in prayer throughout that venture, are those are the ventures that are likely to be blessed. See, Nehemiah went through a process of prayer that has great application and relevance to you and me for today. So please open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have a few Bibles here to open up. Uh, I hope those at home are looking at your Bible as well. But I encourage you to read God's Word for yourself. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to read it as we break it down, do do something a little differently today. I normally read the passage and then break it down. But we're just going to break it down and read it as we do. So before we start breaking it down, let's go to our Lord and pray. Lord Father, I just want to thank you so much for today. And I thank you for this time to be able to enter into your throne room full of mercy and love and grace. I thank you for all the blessing you bestow onto us each and every day, especially the blessing of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, in his name, forgive us where we fail you. Father, I just beg you for forgiveness, how I failed you and for how each of these have failed you today and the days past. Father, we just want to come into you with a clean heart as we kneel at your feet in front of your throne, Lord Father. Father, we just want to lift up this day to you and as we worship you, Lord Father, I just pray that you just fill us with the Holy Spirit right now so that we might be able to learn from you and receive your wisdom of what you want us to be able to learn from this scripture, Father. But Father, I don't only want the wisdom, I ask that you also give us the boldness to be able to use it in our lives each and every day beyond what we've learned today. Father, we just want you to have all the glory. So, Father, as we start to see that glory come upon us, may we reflect it back onto you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want us to be able to learn how we're able to pray, how to, how we're supposed to be praying. And But in order for us to know how to pray, we need to start in the same place that Nehemiah started when we read his word. And when we, what we see is that the first place he started is that he had a concern for, uh, for the problem. See, we need to have a concern about the problem. That's your first point for today. Let's go ahead and look at verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with, with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. See, we know if we've read this chapter before, this book before, we know in verse 11 that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. But I want you to understand what that means. See, his job was to taste the king's wine before the king did it so the king wouldn't be poisoned. But see, there's more, much more to being a cupbearer than just that. See, as a, being a cupbearer, Nehemiah had a great job Anybody ever have a great job that they just loved? I know I do. I do. I I get to do a great job every single day being a pastor here at Central Baptist Church. But Nehemiah had a different type of great job. He had intimate access to royalty. He had political standing. He even had a place to live in a palace that, that he was serving in. See, it was this cushy job that Nehemiah had. And they provided everything that he needed. And yet, when one of his brothers returns from this road trip that he had to Jerusalem, verse 2 says that Nehemiah asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Do you see that there? See, Nehemiah was greatly concerned about what was happening with Jerusalem. I mean, of course, he could have insulated himself if he wanted to, but he didn't, did he? He sought these people out. He wanted to hear firsthand what was going on. He wanted to know exactly what was going on with his people, with his brethren. See, this is a, a very important starting point for you and for me. This is what we need to do. It's so easy for us to just stay uninvolved and unaware, especially during this pandemic time when we're separated physically. Some of us don't even want to think about stuff that's going on in our own lives, let alone taking the time to investigate what's happening here at the church or with the brothers and sisters of Central Baptist Church. See, we need to get past that and start having a concern for what's happening in this church. If we actually want to build, we need to have a concern of what's happening. See, even though Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, he had heard about it. And he knew that his ancestors came from there and that they were led away in chains when Babylon destroyed it. So he had a concern and he was only doing what Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 50 says and instructed exiles to do. And he says, remember the Lord afar off and let Jerusalem come to your minds. Do you let Jerusalem come to your mind? Let me put it a different way. Remember God no matter where you are. But don't forget your people and Central Baptist Church. Don't forget what God's doing here at Central Baptist Church. Don't forget that you have brothers and sisters in Christ that might want to hear from you. Or maybe just be able to fellowship with you. Or pray with you. Don't forget See, but as Nehemiah was thinking about Jerusalem and listening to that report that he received from his brother, we read that in verse 3, that the survivors were in great trouble and disgrace, that the wall of Jerusalem had come down. It was in shambles and the gates had been burned with fire. And as he tried to imagine the shame of the city of David, he could barely stand what he was looking at. See, that phrase, great distress that you see there in that scripture meant that the people had been broken down and were falling to pieces. Do you know anybody like that? That right now through this pandemic is just broken down in tears. They're, They're falling to pieces. So there's three words that summarize the bad news Nehemiah heard. Remnant, ruin, and reproach. Nehemiah was broken over the complacency of these people in Jerusalem. They were living in ruins, and now they were accepting it. They were willing to walk around in devastation instead of being concerned enough about doing something about their situation. Listen to this. Listen carefully. Nothing is ever going to change in our lives, in the life of this church, or for that matter, the life of this nation until we become concerned about the problem. I want to say that again. It's that important. Nothing is ever going to change in our life, our lives, in the life of this church, or even our nation, until we become concerned about the problem. See, some of us may have become complacent about the way our lives are going right now. Maybe uh, you're retired and it's not that much different except for you're not able to go out. Maybe you're working, but you're working from home. Maybe you're not working at all and you're staying at home. And you have some rubble that's going on in your life because it's so much different. So not what you want in your life. But now it's starting after three months, four months, however this devastation has been going on in our lives. It doesn't even bother you anymore. You've become so accustomed to it that it's become your normal lifestyle. So I want to ask you a question. Are you ready to allow God to do some rebuilding in your life? Are you ready to allow God to do some rebuilding in your life? If so... Become concerned about the problem. And you can do that by listening to the facts, even if you don't want to hear them. Biblical facts, not media facts. When he heard this report, Nehemiah hit the ground, and he began to weep in verse 4. And the meaning behind this word weep is that he bemoaned and lamented. Let me tell you why I mentioned that. Because that's the same way Jesus cried out with painful tears when he observed the hard hearts of, the, of those that were in Jerusalem, according to Luke 1941. See, but not only did Nehemiah weep, he also fasted. He refrained from food for several days. I'm going to tell you people, I think this is a place where we fail the most in our modern- day church. We don't fast. We don't fast, not the way we should. But that's another sermon altogether. See, all those signs are signs of humility, weeping and fasting. Those are signs of humility, but it also shows a deep concern for the problem. Do you need rebuilding today? Are your defenses broken down such that you're allowing some of the practices and the sins of this world to be able to control your life? So before we can ask God to build an addition to this church or even rebuild our lives, we need to first become concerned about the problem. Second, we also need to have a conviction about God's character. We need to have a conviction about God's character. See, after Nehemiah becomes concerned, he expresses his conviction in God's character in verse 5. And we see that when he says, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. See, Nehemiah called God, Lord, and by the way, if you attend Wednesday nights, you know in your Bibles, that's capital L, capital O-R-D. And you know what that means. Well, if you want to know, come to this Wednesday night, I'll tell you. But he also refers to God as the God of heaven, doesn't he? See, what he's doing there is he's acknowledging that God was beyond this earthly realm. He was above any God that's out there. And then next, he refers to God as great and awesome. Do you believe that? Amen. 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 See, God deserves to be honored. He deserves to be revered and feared by everyone. because Not because I say uh, to do that, but because of who God is. But then finally, Nehemiah describes God as the one who keeps his covenant of mercy. Because God is truthful, faithful, and he can be trusted. Amen? Do you believe that? Oh, you don't convict me with that. Do you believe that God is truthful, that he's faithful and can be trusted? Amen? Amen. God bless. He is. Nehemiah, though, goes to his boss. And he has a boss who's the king. And he's the greatest and mightiest on earth at that particular time. But Nehemiah knows that compared to God, Artaxerxes was nothing at all. We're nothing compared to God. See, Nehemiah was in Susa. And while he was there, he has this concern for the Jews in far off Jerusalem. But both cities that that he's looking at, one's rich and the other one's poor. The one is strong and the other one is weak. One's proud and the other one is broken. They're like tiny specks of dust under the vast canopy of God's heaven. So when you and I go to God in prayer, we must keep things in proper perspective. Because of his conviction about God's character, Nehemiah knew to respond with prayer. But he also knew that God didn't deserve to have, excuse me, he knew that he didn't deserve to have God treat him favorably. That's why the next phase of his prayer is a confession of sin. By the way, that's our third point. See, in order for us to be able to pray, to know how to pray, we must have a confession of sin. After becoming concerned about the problem and expressing his conviction about God's promises, Nehemiah uh, is now moved to admit his sin and the sins of his people. In the next couple of verses, verses 6 and 7, look at it. It says, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. You know, it's one thing to be concerned and to even have a firm conviction of who God is. It's another thing to actually confess your sins. Many of us, unfortunately, never get that far to the point of actually confessing all of our sins. We might feel bad about our sins and we we want God to forgive us. We're even concerned about how things are going in our lives. Our theology might be correct. We know things are going bad and that God is good, but we still hesitate to confess our sins. But Nehemiah boldly asked God to hear his prayer. And this literally means to hear intelligently. With great attention. And I see at least three key ingredients to his confession of sin. The first ingredient as he confessed his sin is intensity. That's your first sub-bullet. Intensity is the first key ingredient to have a true confession of sin. Overwhelmed by confession about sin and all about God's character, Nehemiah gave himself to prolonged petition and intercession. He prayed day and night, Scripture says. He spent every moment that he could in time, a moment of time that he could in God's presence. And this verse is very similar to Psalm 88, 1, where we read, O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. See, we need to have intensity in our prayer. We need to be able to do it whenever we can, however we can, at at every moment of our time. And we have to really, really, really want it. The second ingredient to having a, a true confession of sin is we must have honesty. We must have honesty. Nehemiah made no attempt to excuse the Israelites for their sin and actually even owned his part in their culpability. See, he surveyed the the grim record of Israel's past and their present failure and he knew that he wasn't exempt from blame. Nehemiah prayed, I'm confessing the sins for all of us, God, including me. We've all acted very wickedly. We haven't obeyed, not one of us. So please, forgive me, Lord. You know, this is remarkable to me. It could have been very easy for Nehemiah to look back at his ancestors and blame them instead of taking on the blame himself. But that was part of his family his heritage, his people, and so he takes it upon himself. You know, it's so easy for us to blame others, isn't it? It's so easy for us to blame others. But we need to learn from Nehemiah, and we need to start confessing our sins honestly. Say things like, Lord, I know I'm wrong. I, I not only want to be part of the answer, but I confess that I was part of the problem. It's hard to admit that we were part of the problem, isn't it? But we must do it. Have you gotten in an argument with somebody, even though you think you're 100% correct in doing so? You're still part of the problem. No matter what we've done, we're still part of the problem. And we must be honest with ourselves on that. The third ingredient that we must have to have a true confession of sin is urgency. We must have urgency. Nehemiah recognized that sin is not merely a a stubborn refusal to obey some, some rules that were placed in front of us, but it's a defiant act of aggressive personal rebellion against the holy God. He knows that they have acted very wickedly. He didn't try to candy coat his sin, did he? He owned it and called it for what it was. You mess up, own it own it. And I'll tell you, I need to own my sins too. It's not just for you. I have three more fingers pointing towards me when I point out there. You know, there's a story that's told about some Boeing employees. Uh, They decided to uh, steal one of the life rafts out of the 747s that they were working in. You know, they were successful in getting it out of the plant, but unfortunately, they forgot one major thing. They forgot that each raft comes with an emergency locator that automatically turns on as soon as it inflates. So they took the raft out on the river and here comes these Coast Guard helicopters that were just homing in on that that locator that, that was set off. See, they didn't get away with it, did they? It's the same thing with sin. We cannot hide our sins from God. It's impossible. Every sin has its own homing locator on it. And he knows it all about them. So we need to recognize that sins, those sins that are blatantly done, the sins that are carelessly committed, the sins that, that we might have left undone, they must all be identified and then we must confess them. So, are you holding on to anything today? Is there anything going on in your life, any sin that's unconfessed? Before you answer that, I urge you to ask the Holy Spirit to to reveal those to you. It's better to confess your sins now than waiting for your sin to expose you. You know, we have a fourth step on knowing how to pray. And that fourth step is that we must have confidence in God's promises. We must have confidence in God's promises. While Nehemiah spends time in broken confession, he doesn't wallow in some prolonged introspective examination of all of his failures. He owns what he did wrong and he quickly expresses confidence in God's promises. Look at verses 8 through 10. Verse 8. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Someone much, much smarter than me calculated that there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. 7,000 promises in the Bible. In other words, the better that we know the word of God the better that we'll be able to pray with confidence in God's promises. So let me ask you, are you confident in God's promises like Nehemiah was? See, Nehemiah knew that God would keep his covenant of love with his people. He also knew that even though God didn't need his help, God wants us to be available. Which brings us to our final step of knowing how to pray. We need to make a commitment to get involved. We must make a commitment to get involved. Did you see the progression in Nehemiah's prayer that we went through today? He has a concern about the problem and it led him to, uh, to be broken. And while he was weeping and fasting, he expressed conviction about God's character And he focused on God's greatness and his awesomeness of our holy God. And he was quickly reminded of his wickedness and therefore he cried out in confession. And after owning his sins and the sins of the nation and the wickedness of his nation, he started to pray boldly and confidently in God's promises. And then that leads him to a commitment to get involved. And we see that commitment in verse 11 of our text. And it says, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. You know, it's been said that prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven but getting God's will done on earth. However, for God's will to be done on earth, God wants people to be available for him to use. See, while Nehemiah was still praying, he didn't pray for God to send somebody else, did he? He said, here am I, send me. Send me. He knew that he would have to approach the king soon, and he would have to request a three-year leave of absence, and he wanted to see God break out of his, on his behalf. And when he goes in front of that king, especially to make his request, because we all know that he could have probably died, and we'll talk about that in a, in a future sermon, by being sorrowful in front of the king. See, the true measure of our concern is whether or not we're willing To make a commitment to get involved. The true measure of our concern is whether or not we are willing to make a commitment to get involved. See, we should be praying as if everything depends on God and then working as if everything depends on you. Post that wherever you can today. On your Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever, your refrigerator wall. Put it in your Bible. Pray as if everything depends on God. Then work as if everything depends on you. You know, I remember a story about a college choir. Which was all set to present a concert at a large church. And it was supposed to be carried by a a local radio station live. Well, when everything appeared to be ready, the announcer made his final introduction and he waited for the choir director to begin. And the choir director just stood there because the tenor wasn't ready. And he stood there and refused to raise his baton baton until that tenor was ready. At this time, there was nothing going on on the radio but silence and growing very nervous, the announcer, forgetting that his mic was still on, He could be heard in the church sanctuary and even on the air yelled out, get on with it, you old goat. Well, later in the week, the radio station uh, got a letter from one of its listeners, a man who had tuned in to listen to that show uh, from the comfort of his easy chair. He said when he heard and tuned in, he heard, get on with it, you old goat. But he took that message personally. He had been doing nothing in his life to further God's work. And this startling message was enough to convict him and get him going again. Sometimes we need a wake-up call, don't we? Maybe you've received that call this this morning. I hope so. If you've been complacent. I know I have. And maybe God is saying to you right now, get on with it, you old goat. Are you young goat? Are you in between goat? Where are you in the prayer process right now? Do you have a conviction about God's holy character? Are you ready to confess your sins? Do you have confidence in God's promises? Are you ready to make a commitment to get involved in God's kingdom work? Well, if you are, let me help you on a place you can start. You can commit to being involved in our building fund campaign. That's not just about money here. Listen to me. See, over the course of the next three to 12 months, we're prayerfully going to be starting to build our new building. We are very far along in this process, so close to getting that first shovel in the ground. But I ask that you, you start praying for this new addition. Every single one of us in this church at Central Baptist Church, member or regular tender or even our visitors, I encourage you to please pray every day about our new addition. But as you do, also ask God how he wants you to be involved. Maybe it's going to be with your time, with your talents, And even your treasures. But I'll tell you, our prayers are gonna fall on deaf ears unless we have the courage to admit that we've messed up, that we have sin in our lives, that we still have wrongs that we need God to right. So when we become concerned enough about the way we've been been living, we'll wanna confess those sins. And after we confess those sins, then we know that God will do His rebuilding work here at the church and in our lives. So I want to encourage you today to think about that. Pray to our God. And do it the right way. With concern, conviction, confession, confidence, and commitment. I will tell you, That God can get this building done just by speaking it if if He wants it done. But He wants us to do these things so we can get closer to Him. I don't know about you. I'd like to see that building go up. And I'd like to see it go up soon. But we need everybody involved to get it done. God doesn't need you, He wants you. Let's pray. Father, you are great and awesome. And Father, I thank you that you're such a rock that we could stand upon. And that when you make a promise, we know we can rely on that promise. Because you're such a trustworthy God. But Father, I pray that you just convict us for concern about what's going on in our lives personally and con- collectively as a church. Father, we, we've been apart for so long as a church because of this COVID-19 crisis that I pray that you just help us get back together. Spiritually, Lord, that's where we need to be. Father, we just ask that you help to continue to guide us on what we need to do to be with each other. Whether we're doing it virtually or physically, we can still be together, and I thank you for that. But, Father, I also pray that you help us understand that we need to come to you and confess our sins, but also give you our supplications, and that supplication is that we need our lives rebuilt, rebuilt to the point that it's a beautiful temple of yours that you live in. But, Father, we also want to rebuild this church That you've given us. We fully believe that you want us to be able to do so. And expand with this new addition. So Father I pray. That we just don't let you do all the work. But that we want you to to be able to use us in a mighty way. In a bold way. So Father convict us on where we need to be convicted. Use us on where we need to be used. And Father humble us when our pride gets too strong. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. But most of all, I thank you for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Nick Manzi is Senior Pastor of Central Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. If you want more information about the church, or if you're ready to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, contact Brother Nick at PSL at gmail.com. God bless you as you go about the rest of your day, and thank you for listening and sharing our podcast.